This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions. Because it's time to dish the dirt. On the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Good morning. Charlie here, and I'm afraid to say Frank's not. He usually does the hello, good morning, it's a gorgeous day, but Frank couldn't be here today. But I'm here with James Patrick Dooley, as usual, helping me hold down the fort, and brand new support staff Justin is here as well. So I'm not alone, though I might sound a bit alone. Of course, I'm waiting to hear from you. You're going to ask me garden questions, you're going to share ideas, give me some tips, give everybody some tips of things that have worked for you. So don't feel that you only have to call with a problem. You can always call with uh, sharing something good, right? Numbers. Toll-free anywhere, anywhere in Canada, I think, one 740 And, of course, locally, 416-360-0417. Just put that into the memory speed dial on your phone. It's always the best. Then you don't have to worry about calling. You just hit the speed dial and you can get right through. Now, remember, the mantra, call early. That way you will get through. Call often because only one question per caller. So there's always an opportunity for others to get onto the show. And, of course, you can always call back. Uh, The other thing is email. I often get um, questions through the big administration, the bureaucratic MZ media, forwarding me emails. So, again, my email is quite easy. It's just my first initial C, so C dot. Dobbin, last name Dobbin, D-O-B-B-I-N at mzmedia.com. So feel free to send me emails. And of course, identify that plant. That's the, the big one. So take pictures, take lots of pictures and send in any questions. All right. A couple of things to uh, mention coming up today. Today is a busy day at the Toronto Botanical Gardens. Things are buzzing, as they say. It's harvest day. It's family friendly. There's lots of activities starting at noon right through until four o'clock. Free, no registration required. Well, of course, what's going on? The local beekeepers are there. There's a bunch of pollinator-promoting organizations on hand, so you can learn all about the bees. You can buy some very lovely honey and um, bee-friendly sort of neat foods. There's going to also be demonstrations. Uh, There's a tour of the pollinator. There's a pollinator tour uh, of the Toronto Botanical Gardens. The teaching garden will be offering cider an opportunity to plant bulbs, and um, guard, lots of garden activities of one kind or another, crafts. There's veggies, vegetables to be harvested from the teaching garden, and those go to the North York Harvest Food Bank. So, like I say, lots and lots going on at the Toronto Botanical Gardens, which is, of course, on 
Leslie and Lawrence, the southwest corner, free parking and free activities all afternoon. And not there's today's not you couldn't ask for a better day to be outside. This is a great day to be outside uh, in your own garden or in somebody else's garden. But this is definitely a great day. It's going to be at 25 degrees. The, the sky is crystal blue. There's not a cloud. We've had a lovely few days and this weekend promises to be just as beautiful as the last few days. So like I say, tons going on uh, there. Coming up uh, in the future, probably the one I should mention is Monday, October the 6th. Oh, I did mention this last week. There's the garden show and competition going on, sponsored by the Agent Court Garden Club. Uh, of course, that starts at 7.30 p.m. And then at 8 o'clock, Darren Heimbecker will be speaking about Whistling Gardens, which is that garden I was telling you all about down just south of uh, Bradford. And uh, he's going to be educating and entertaining, and anybody who's there and everyone, of course, is welcome. So uh, that's happening at Agent Court. October 6th, 7.30, and of course they meet at the Knox United Christian Centre, 2575 Kennedy Road. So I think James is going to yell at me that we should probably take a break, and then we've got some callers online. And remember, if you're a first-time caller, let James know, because we have our magical wings, that welcoming sound of chimes. Thank you, James. All right, we'll be right back after this. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, flocks, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You pick the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. All right, we're back. This is Charlie. We're talking gardening. We're going to get right with Eleanor, who's calling from Waterloo. But let me just give the numbers one more time. Locally, remember, it's 416-360-0740 and toll-free 1-866-740-4740. All right. And in the meantime, let's see what's going on in Waterloo. Good morning, Eleanor. Good morning, Charlie, and a beautiful morning it is. It's gorgeous everywhere, I think, today. So what's uh, happening? I'm. We planted for the first time this year flowering vines to cover the fence. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've grown beautifully, and they've done a marvelous job. But we don't know what to do about cutting back. Do we cut them back? Do you have any idea what kind of vines these are? I have a honeysuckle and I have a clematis. Oh, lovely. Okay, perfect. So, no, no cutting back this fall. No cutting back. Leave them alone. Of course, you're not fertilizing at all at this point. No. You will water if we have this kind of weather for many more weeks. We will have to do some watering before winter sets in. But just leave them alone for the winter. Of course, they are deciduous. They're going to drop their leaves. The clematis is going to look like it's dead. It's just going to look like a lot of brown stems. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the the honeysuckle is a, a woody vine. There will be stems that are brown as well. But come spring, what'll happen, of course, is both... Both of them will start to grow, and you'll get little tiny buds starting to emerge. With the clematis, I'm assuming, do you know what kind of clematis it is? No, I don't. Is it, is the flower a flat, almost a star shape? a flat purple flower. Right. So likely it's one of the ones called Jack Manny, which is very, very popular, and grows like stink, so it's a great one. What you'll do in the spring... As soon as you start to see the little fuzzy buds starting to emerge along the stems of the clematis, and that's usually, depending on what kind of spring we have, it could be in April, it could be as late as early May, but you'll see they look like little tiny mouse ears. They're just these soft little fuzzy buds Mm -hmm. start to emerge. 
You'll go out with your secateurs and you're going to chop that entire clematis vine down at the height of 10 inches. The height of 10 inches. So, you know, 8 to 10 inches above the ground, you're just going to go straight across and cut everything off. Okay. Dispose of everything you've cut off, you know, into the composter, whatever, and then let it grow. What what that's going to do is it's going to cause a lot more stems to grow, of course, oh, because when we take the, the tip off of a vine or any plant, most plants, we'll get exponentially more growth. Okay. So it'll be a thicker, um, you know, bigger plant with more flowers as a result of doing that. The honeysuckle, you're only going to trim if it is getting out of control. If it's growing in the wrong direction, you're going to trim, or if it's, you know, strangling. It's already, it's already up and, across, and going both sides across the top of the latticework on the fence. Oh, that's great. Well, so part of your work is going to be training these plants, keeping them growing where you want them, and don't be afraid to trim if they're growing in a direction you don't want them to grow. But other than that, you don't trim. That's correct. And the, well, the clematis you will trim every spring, as I've said. Yeah, that's the but only not time. The no, not usually. Um, you'll just keep an eye on it, and, and sometimes, yeah, it'll need to be trimmed just because it'll be growing out into the garden, and mm-hmm. you don't want that. You want it to grow along the fence, as you that's said. That's right. Okay. Now, uh, is there anything we can do to protect them from rabbits? Hmm. We we uh, we we lost we what we lost a whole. Rosa Sharon bush this year because yeah. of rabbits. We all had a lot. There was a lot of damage because of all that snow last year. A lot of the little varmints made wonderful little tunnels under that snow and traveled around and chewed on plants. So the best way to protect those plants and any of our plants that we think might be susceptible in terms of getting chewed in the winter is with chicken wire. Chicken uh, wire. Yep. Making and just put it around the roots? Uh, well, around the stem. Because remember, stem. assume that your your snow in Waterloo could be, you know, t- a oh, foot or more. high last year. That's <laughs> right. Last year was a little deeper than normal. So, but still, yeah. I mean, see, that's the thing. The rabbits can travel on top of the snow. Yes. So then the they can chew above that that knee height plus there's the voles and the mice that travel under the snow and they're chewing below the snow line so really properly you want to have a a, like a cage around your plants that is from the ground up to the height that you expect you know just beyond where the snow might fall chicken wire that you can buy like a canadian tire big cylinder if you can all the way around yeah and you know literally if you want to make it a meter high or two and a half feet tall from ground up from the ground up you you will do your best protection for the winter. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you very much, Charlie. You're I very appreciate welcome. your show so much. <laughs> You've helped me so many times. Excellent. Good to hear. Thanks Have for calling. Have a wonderful weekend. You too. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Okay. So I'm just, I'm, I'm just like at my wit's end. Shall I give the numbers again or should, oh, well, I've got some more callers. Maybe we better just whip to a caller. We've got Christine on the line calling from Buffalo. Good morning, Christine. Uh, good morning, Charlie. I listen to you all the time. I love your show. I have so many tips written down from you. Oh, good stuff. Thanks. My question today is I have a palmaria that I bought from QVC. I've managed to keep it alive for about five years now, and this year I've got buds, but it's also root-bound. Okay, so I'm drawing a blank. Palmaria. Yeah, it's P-U-L something. I oh, pulmonaria. Is it, okay, sorry, is this outside or inside? Well, I put it outside in the summer, and I bring it inside in the winter, and it goes to sleep, 
And then come February, I start to water it, and as soon as I see greens, I bring it back upstairs to the light, and mm-hmm. then I'll buy it again. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, um, all right, it's not pulmonary either. Yeah, you know what? Okay, so what? This, so it's in a pot. It sounds lovely. It's in a pot right now, but you're seeing roots growing out the bottom of the pot? Right. Okay. Now is not the most optimal time to transplant. What I would be inclined to do would be to follow your regular routine of sort of forcing it or allowing it to go dormant this fall, put it away for the winter, just like you have every winter, you know, allow it to spend the winter just quietly in the dark. When it's time to bring it out, because now the days are getting longer and the plants are responding, it's at that point that you would pop it into a larger pot with some fresh potting soil. Okay, and it won't hurt to just leave it over the winter this no. way? No, because being dormant, uh, it, it is um, better to... You see, if you transplant it now, you're going to encourage growth. You're going to encourage it to, to fill that pot with roots. Okay. And, and at this time of year, that's exactly what we don't want to do with any of our plants. Okay. Even our tropical plants, they, they know that the days are getting shorter. And even tropical plants that don't think about a winter per se, they still have a growing season and a dormant season, typically more of a dry and a wet, okay. where we have the cold and the warm. But plants do need a rest. So allow that plant to have its rest in its current pot. Okay. When it's time to wake up, encourage that waking up and encourage that new growth with a brand new, only two inches bigger, though, pot, not a massively bigger pot. Okay. And right. as we said, fresh potting soil. Okay, great. Okay. okay. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Have Thanks. A nice day. And you too. Thanks for your call. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right. Are we having fun yet? We are having fun, and we are going to have to take a quick break. <laughs> and we do have lots more callers lined up, but if you want to get in on the, the garden show, it's a great day to be talking because it's a great day to be in the garden. 416-360-0740 or toll-free 866-740-4740. We'll be right back. Don't change the radio station. Just because the weather changes, garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Good morning. We're back and we're talking gardening. You couldn't ask for a prettier day to be in the garden or, you know, second choice, talking about gardening. (laughs) We have a call from Laura. She's calling from Eris. Good morning, Laura. Oh, good morning, Charlie. What's going on? I have a hard time hearing you on this phone. Oh, well, yeah. I'll speak a little louder. <laughs> yeah, uh, I wanted to ask you about my butterfly bush. Mm-hmm. I, I remember saying you cut it down in the winter, but I don't know how, or in the fall, but I didn't, couldn't remember how much to cut it down. Okay, so that's a, actually a great question. Can you hear me, or do you want to hang up and then turn your radio uh, up? Wait till I switch phones. Maybe that'll make a difference. Well, or, or even easier, Laura, just maybe hang up the phone and then turn up your radio, and I'll give you a couple seconds to do well, that. And I'll, then I'll just switch phones. Okie doke. Okay. <laughs> okay. There we go. All right. And I don't know if that makes any difference or not. I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I can hear you. Excellent. <laughs> Just uh, barely. <laughs> uh, all right. So going back to my first suggestion, you might want to do that. Just oh, hang. no. I don't want to sit on hold for another 15, Oh, oh no, 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 no. You turn up your radio. You'll hear me answer your question if you turn up your oh, radio oh, as loud oh. as you want. No, that's okay. Okay. So, yeah. I sent you some pictures of weeds. Did you get them? Uh, weeds. When? Uh, this week. I think I mailed them too. Oh, the pink flowers? Uh, yeah, there are three different weeds. Oh, no. 
I didn't get those. Not yet. I got them yet. Okay, let me repeat my email address after we answer the butterfly question, butterfly bush question. So the question is when to prune it? Not now. Not this fall at all. Leave your butterfly bushes alone. The one thing you can do now, if you have the time and the inclination, is to go outside and trim any of the flowers that are finished from your butterfly bush. Oh, yeah, which I do that will, all the time. Yeah, and that will encourage more flowers because we love it when it just keeps flowering right through until, you know, really hard frost. Because for now, the butterfly bushes have been blooming for a couple of weeks and will continue to bloom, particularly if the weather stays great. So do that, no other pruning, just dead flower removal. Next spring, when the weather gets nice and the birds are chirping and things are starting to happen, on a nice dry day, you'll go out to your garden and you will remove everything that's dead off of your butterfly bush. At my house, typically, that's right down to the ground. I, After most winters, my entire butterfly bush is completely dead other than the root, which is alive right down at ground level, and then the whole thing grows up again from that point to six feet and starts flowering every August. So yeah. th- that's the trick with the butterfly bushes. Leave them alone. Let them just live through the winter and do all your pruning once the new growth starts in the spring. Yeah, well, mine's about five feet tall. Excellent. Very nice. And the butterflies love them. Are you seeing lots of butterflies? Uh, a, f- a few, not very many, but the hummingbird likes them too. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's always nice to attract something into the garden. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I've seen more butterflies this summer than I feel like the last three summers combined. So you're right. There's not a lot of butterflies, but still, like I said, I've seen far more than I have in the last little while. So I'm excited about that. All right. So thank you for your call. And I hope that helps. Oh, thank you, Charlie. All righty. Take okay. care. Look after that butterfly bush and look after the hummingbirds. <laughs> I I love what hummingbirds are attracted to. You, you always say that they like red things, and yet as long as it's a tubular-shaped flower, hummingbirds will go for it. They actually don't really care about the color. They'll check every flower. They'll go to the hydrangeas. They'll go to the daylilies. Color is pretty irrelevant, but red does seem to really bring them into the garden. So, you know, certainly the Menard and all that is doing very nicely right now. All right, we have Georgina on the line calling from Etobicoke. Good morning, Georgina. Good morning, Charlie. That's nice to know about the hummingbirds. I didn't know that they went for hydrangeas. I've got all kinds. That's what I'm calling about, actually. Yeah, well, I can't say that they do much with the hydrangea, but they certainly are attracted to them, and uh-huh. they buzz them, and they're going, okay, where's that yeah, nectar? I, I love them, but I, and I've had the little red containers out, but I never get any So uh, and with the, the syrup in it, but I never oh, seem to get any. But yeah. my question mm-hmm. is, I have beautiful hydrangeas. There are three plants, but they've spread gorgeously. Now, we are having some work done, and the only way, if you can believe it, that the front-end loader can get to what the work we're having done in the backyard is to go right over these things. Mm. I can't. It's just no other possible way. So I'm wondering, someone suggested to dig them right up Mm -hmm. or cut them right back. What would you suggest? How, How long have they been there? 
Oh, for 20, since we've been here, oh, which is about 20 years. 20 plus years. Hmm. They're, okay. they're beautiful. They really are lovely. So they're probably the white flowers right, right now. They're yeah. white, and now they've turned, they turn okay. kind of greenish. Greenish, yeah. That's a, a hydrangea called Annabelle. Mm-hmm. Very popular. Grows in part sun, part shade, and oh, very and consistently blooms yeah. every year. I just, I just hate to lose them. I really do. Okay, so if you cut them down mm-hmm. and the front end loader runs them over, they're likely going to die just from oh. the the weight of the loader and the compaction of the soil that will take place as a result of the weight of the loader. Mm-hmm. If you try digging them up, you'll probably phone me up and start yelling at me because there are extensive roots after 20-odd years. Mm-hmm. And so to actually uh, successfully dig those up, uh, that would be a tough one. Mm-hmm. Um, both, yeah, I... I I I'm, think I'm going to lose them, but I just thought, well, I'll try and see what you... I, I generally do cut them right back. I think I'm cutting them back. I'll take that chance, I think. Well, and the other thing you could do is with a sharp shovel, you know how the the um, original plant had probably a few stems, and then over the years, of course, the shrub has gotten bigger and bigger so that the clump is quite large now. Mm-hmm. With a sharp shovel, you could try even now at this time of year to cut, don't try and lift the whole plant, but from the outside edge of where all those stems are coming from, Mm -hmm. if you can actually excavate out a stem or a couple of stems that have some root attached to them, Mm -hmm. then you can transplant that or at least take that. As long as you've got some root and some stem Mm -hmm. on, you know, in one piece, Get that into some soil, even into a pot with potting soil, and then put that out of the way where it's safe from the front end loader. If it has to stay above ground all winter, then just bury the pot somewhere in the garden where it's safe out of the path of renovations. Mm -hmm. And then next spring, when you're ready to to look at replanting, you could take that same piece because that's, you know, it's a clone of the plants you have now Mm -hmm. and replant and, you know, try it that way. I just wouldn't try and lift the whole thing, but it might be worth trying to take some pieces from the edge. Well, I, I could, I could, yeah. I, I think I, I just kind of thought, like you, that being there that long, that they're very, um, very deep rooted. Oh yeah, and they're, and they're very massively rooted yeah, too. Yeah, like. I would think so. <laughs> they just come up every every year so beautifully. Mm. I, I just hate to lose them, but well, and the good thing is they are replaceable. There mm-hmm. are lots of great hydrangeas. They've yes. done some wonderful breeding work with the hydrangeas over the last yes. few years, mm-hmm. and I have the improved version of the Annabelle. You have, I have one called Incredible. It's actually called Incredible Hydrangea. It's white. It's just like yours. Turns green, just like yours. But the flowers are huge. The flowers are the size of soccer balls. So they are bigger. Incredible. It's actually called Incredible. Incredible, B-A-L-L. Okay. Well, I'll just... So consider, yeah, <laughs> if it doesn't work, like I say, very replaceable, and I, I would highly recommend if you want to go back in there with that white flowering hydrangea, go with the Incredible instead of the Annabelle. Well, I'll certainly mark that down. Fine. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Your show. Thank and you. And thanks for your call. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. It's true, though. I guess one thing I probably should have mentioned to Georgina, 
I didn't ask her about sun and shade. Annabelle, the one hydrangea she has now, can handle half-day sun and shade and blooms profusely. Incredible prefers a little more sun. In order to get those profuse blooms, you're going to want preferably five, six or more hours of sun daily. So if you've got less than that and you still want those big white flowering uh, hydrangeas, go with the Annabelle instead of the Incredible, just from a light level. All right, let's speak. Let's see what's going on in Mississauga. We have Grace on the line. Good morning, Grace. Hi, how are you? Oh, hold on, you're a first-time caller. Yes. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. You have your wings. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> My question is, and this has never happened before, mm-hmm. mushrooms growing in the lawn. Okay, so, and why do you think it's happened all yes. of a sudden? Because Well, of- I don't know why it- well, a lot of rain, a lot of moisture. Oh. What do mushrooms love? Now, keep in mind that mushrooms are, when you see a mushroom above ground, it tells you, okay, that's what's called the fruiting body. So that little mushroom that pops up, it, the only reason it's there is to disperse spores and grow more mushrooms. Okay. The real mushroom is underground. and when right. So when you see that little fruiting body above ground, you know you've got some kind of massive mushroom action going on below ground, but mushrooms don't just grow on soil. They grow on rotting organic material. So you must have very organic soil or you had a tree that was cut down and there's roots underneath the soil and those roots are decomposing and being decomposed by mushrooms. Is that possible? Well, I know someone asked me, you know, if I'd had a tree there, and I said no. Now, mind you, there's a tree, you know, like, I mean, it's it's still there. Mm-hmm. So what I've been doing is going around on my hands and knees mm-hmm. and actually taking, you know, a small shovel mm-hmm. and digging them out, like going under and getting, making sure I've got the whole mushroomy thing. Yeah. Okay, so, and that's okay, except you're actually doing more work than you need to. Okay, so keep in mind, like I said, mushrooms are are very important when it comes to the decomposition and the degradation of organic material. So even if you have a living tree somewhere in your yard, um, and you see mushrooms growing in the yard beneath the tree... There could be something down there. There could be some debris from when your house was built. You know, some two-by-fours were left there. It could be something from even before that that is slowly but surely decomposing and the mushrooms are doing it for you, which is a good thing. Trust me. They, you might not like the looks of the mushrooms, but they're actually doing a good thing. So do you, are you a golfer by any chance? Uh, no. Okay. Because <laughs> I was going to say, a golf club is a really handy thing when it comes to mushrooms in the lawn. If you're the kind of person who gets up early, you've got to remember the way it works. Okay, so when a mushroom comes through the soil, its little, its, it's little toadstool top is closed. It's, it's just a round knob. Okay. As the uh, sun starts to rise and the day length increases, it opens up to being an actual toadstool and spores drop from underneath the umbrella uh, top of the toadstool. Okay. So if you are an early riser and you have a golf club handy or whatever, I just sometimes I'll just put on a pair of rubber boots. You go out in the morning and basically you just want to kick the top off or knock the top off of those mushrooms before they open, before they spread spores. And this will just be an ongoing thing that you will do when we have moist summers or weeks and weeks of rain. These mushrooms will appear. And then at some point, they'll just stop appearing because they'll be done. 
Oh, so they, they might not even come back next year. Correct. If we have a dry summer, you may not see them at all. doesn't mean they're not down there. It just means that they're not, um, they don't have enough sort of moisture to want to do a whole bunch of uh, reproduction, which is what those little toadstools are all about. They're okay, all about so reproduction. So when I'm, I'm going to go out there like and, you know, kick the tops off, mm-hmm. am I picking those up afterward? I'm not just leaving them on the grass, am I? Are they, are, how big are they? Like if they're really... Oh my God. How oh, they're the big if monsters. If I could package these, I'd probably be very wealthy. <laughs> okay. I have like round um, <laughs> bunches of them. Yeah. Then I have the other ones that grow quite tall very thick stems. Oh, yeah, big white. Yeah, okay. Oh, they look like portobello mushrooms. Yeah, exactly. You know what? You should pick those up and you should dispose of those. You can go into your composter or into the whatever, you know, um, garbage you want to go into, but I would dispose them because they'll just turn to black mush. Oh, all right. If you leave them on the ground. But there's nothing else I can put on them to discourage this. Um, Okay, you can uh, do whatever you can to maximize more sunlight in that area. So if we're talking below a tree, you could have the crown of the tree thinned by a certified arborist, get a little more sunlight in there. You'll have a little drier area. You'll have fewer mushrooms. Okay. That's number one. Number two, you can look at whatever is possible in terms of better air circulation because, again, when it's a windy, airy spot, fungal... uh, Growth doesn't happen as easily. So again, you'll minimize your mushrooms in a windier spot. And number three, you could go to your local garden center and pick up something called horticultural lime. Oh, okay. L-I-M-E. And you could sprinkle a little bit of horticultural lime in the area where the mushrooms are coming up. And that will, believe it or not, that will raise the pH a tiny bit. And by modifying the pH, again, you make it a little bit tougher for the mushrooms to grow. It doesn't mean they're not there. That won't hurt my grass, though, that lime. As long as you don't put too much. We're talking oh. like a, you know, a teaspoon sprinkled in the area where you're seeing mushrooms okay. or areas. And should I keep the grass short? Uh, we always go for a shortcut towards the end of the, uh, the, end of the season. But right. traditionally, we like to keep our grass longer, two and a half to three inches tall, just to maximize the moisture in the soil, which, of course, is also encouraging your mushrooms. So, oh. yeah, if you want to try and discourage mushrooms, you could cut a little shorter, but then you have to put a little more maintenance into your lawn. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Cost benefit. You're very welcome. Okay. Thanks so much for your call. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All righty. Good luck with that. All right. We're going to go for a quick break, and then we're going to be right back to talk to Helena. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than we do realize. And should little creatures become a big problem? Well, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. All right, and we are back. Let's have a chat with Helena calling from Amaranth. Is that true? Good morning. Good morning. Do you actually live in Amaranth? Pardon? Do you live in Amaranth? Well, it's really Laurel, but it's a township uh, of Amaranth. Oh, cool. I like They've the name. they changed everything around, so they made it Amaranth now instead of Laurel. Okay. Both of those are nice names. Nice yeah, plant names. Yeah, of Orangeville. Oh, yeah, good. All right, so what's going on at your place? <laughs> I have a peony. Oh, and you're also a first-time caller. Yes, I am. Yes. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate that. What's going on I'll with your shine. peony? Um, well, it's about 30 years old, and I know you're supposed mm. to transplant it late August, beginning of September, Mm-mm. and I haven't yet. And last spring, I just had like one bud and didn't even open up, so I'm sure it needs transplanting. Well, okay, so it's been in the same spot for 30 years? It has. Wow, so is it in quite a bit of shade now by any chance? Uh, it's got an overhang on the, by the veranda, but uh-huh. it does get morning sun. Okay, because peonies, 
prefer six hours plus of sun every day. Could it be also that in its location for 30 years, over the years, soil has been added to that garden and it's ended up with um, a higher, the ground has gone up around the plant? Is that possible? It could be because I do add uh, fresh soil and manure and everything like that every year. Well, you should and good for you. So um, the reason I bring that up is because peonies flower best under two kinds of circumstances. One with lots of light and number two with the tuber planted almost literally on the surface surface of the soil so that as soon as that tuber is down too deep we will get foliage but we will not get a lot of flowers i should maybe move back the dirt a bit well could you could you go in there with a digging fork because you could certainly do something now if you had a chance now to lift it okay um it's not too late to lift it no it's not too late um there's actually a really good YouTube video on how to lift big old peonies. <laughs> it's like oh, okay. because on YouTube. yeah, on YouTube. So if you if you Google, um, you know, transplanting peony, and you see a video on YouTube, it was about ten minutes long, but it was really well done. It just showed how to bring that whole. It was a it's a monster tuber that they bring up on the video. Okay. Monster as in probably two feet by, you know, 18 inches kind of size, so a very old tuber. And they let it dry out for about 36 hours, 48 hours. Then they chop it all up and, of course, turn it into 20 more plants. Wow. So it's up to you whether you want to get that carried away or you just want to lift and move. It might be hard to, if, depending on the size of it, uh, it might be hard to move it intact. But yeah, and the, it's right against the veranda, like, so I can't really get to the back of it. Just yeah. Front and everything. But the main thing is, is get it into as much sun as you can get it into a, a good quality fertile soil and plant it so that it's just below the surface. I know I bought some uh, root booster mm-hmm. when you transplant things, yep. you put yep. it in? Yep, follow the instruction on the package. Root booster will encourage roots immediately, which is exactly what you want whenever you're transplanting. Should I put bone meal in it too or any kind of compost? Okay, compost is good. Uh, one or the other, either bone meal or transplanter, root booster type synthetic oh, fertilizer. I can't do all three of them, no. Okay. Oh, yeah, no, you can do the compost for sure. Mm-hmm. And then just choose whether it's bone meal as your root encouraging amendment or okay. a synthetic fertilizer, which will be a root encouraging okay. amendment. Okay. okay, you don't want to do both because that'll be too much phosphorus. Okay. Okay. Okay, wonderful. Hey, thanks so much for your call. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye. You know, it is a perfect time to be transplanting. Don't think it's too late. I know it's sep- end of September, but I'm telling you, the weather is too perfect. If you have digging, dividing, transplanting to do, and you're anywhere sort of from Barrie south, you're good. You all, you're really good to get out there and do that this weekend because we have the time. We have at least six weeks and that is the opportunity for those new roots to get growing and get a little bit established. And as Helena brings up, good idea, use either bone meal or a root booster or a transplanter fertilizer. Get those roots growing right away. That's the number one thing we need when we do our digging and dividing. All right, from Coburg, we have Helen on the line. Good morning, Helen. Hi there. Hi. What's going on at your place? Pardon me? What's going on at your place? Uh, At my place, I have a new place. I've just moved to Coburg, Mm -hmm. and I have a magnolia in my front lawn, Mm -hmm. uh, which is quite young, although from what I can tell, it's been there at least two years. Um, It had a stake beside it, which I immediately took off, Mm -hmm. uh, because I know it needs to learn to to stand on its own. Mm -hmm. But it's got a lean in it. It grows up straight for about five feet perhaps 
and then it veers off to the south on maybe a 20-degree angle. Hmm. And seeing as how it's young, I wondered if there's any way that I can start to encourage it to fill in that side that isn't leaning so that it ends up um, yeah, balanced. Yeah. So is or the whether ma- I just leave it to itself, will it do that over time? Well, okay, so the, the stem where it comes out of the ground, is that perfectly perpendicular to the ground? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. So it's just, and that first five feet, like you said, is Yeah, more or less, it's slightly off, but more or less straight up and down. I mean, you know, if you want to, okay, so, and where it's located in your, uh, on your property there in Coburg, is it a fairly windy location? Yes, I would say it is. Now, the one thing that I, I had wondered about whether it had been blown that way, but mm-hmm. it's going the opposite direction. To the wind. At the south end of my property, I have a very large hedge, mm-hmm. which certainly would make a windbreak. Right. for it from the south, from the, off the lake. But, you, but okay. from are the you, north, it would be windy. Right, and are you quite close to the lake? Yes, stone's throw. Oh, that close. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, because prevailing wind is from the north or yeah. northwest yeah. in the winter. But when you're that close to the lake, well, but still, when we get inclement weather in the winter, have you lived there for the winter yet? No, I just moved in July. Okay. All right. So, uh, okay, so you're going to find out and report back to us. <laughs> but I have a feeling that when it's a crummy storm in the middle of the winter, even even with the lake right there to the south, I wouldn't be at all surprised if you've got a, a whistling wind coming in from the north. Uh, so it would be an offshore wind in terms of you know being uh, on the lake there. Okay, here's what I think you should do. I think, if you can, you should get... Two very good, strong stakes, whether they are metal stakes or wooden stakes, and you'll drive them into the ground about uh, 18 inches uh, away from the magnolia on two sides. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the two sides you would really properly do would be the north North and south. Exactly. Then what I would do is I would put some tension on that plant to bring it. If it's leaning towards the south, I'd put a little bit of tension to bring it north. Uh, a little bit, not a lot, but you're going to just stabilize it for this winter. You also, next spring, will, after it flowers, after the magnolia flowers, so it's going to be early spring, you are going to go out on a nice dry day with your sharp pruners, and you're going to prune for balance. You're going to try and take, if you're finding that there's a lot of growth to the south, where Mm -hmm. there's obviously more sun, you're going to take some of that away to balance off the lack of growth on the north side. Okay. Okay, and the, all you're trying to do is get it so that that poor little stem doesn't break in half because there's, it's unweighted and it's yes. got too much weight on one side. Right. So you're going to very judiciously and carefully remove some appropriate branches from that south side, and it's going to be a process. You're going to do this over a period of time. But leave it. St- I would leave it staked for one more year. Okay. You may be able to take the stake out next summer, or if, if not in the summer, then at least in the fall, so a year from now. Okay, that's fine. Okay. I, do, I did keep the stake that I had that, that was in there, but it was one of those that was right next to the stem. Yeah, that's and I thought, no, that planted. needs to go. Yeah, so you need to put, put something that's further away from the stem, and like I say, put a little tension now. You're not going to wrap rope no. uh, around the, the bark of the plant. You're going to either probably, what I'll typically do is use an old piece of hose yeah. and cut a piece of hose and then run my rope through the hose, and then that hose is what's up against the, the magnolia bark. Okay. 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 Sounds okay. good. Well, thank you very much. Good luck with that. Let okay. us know how that works out. Okay. All right. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. All right. A quick break, and we'll be right back. 
Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, flocks, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. <laughs> all right, we're all dancing to that music. It is a beautiful day, and it's a good day to be smiling and getting outside if we can. And we have another first-time caller on the line. Good morning and welcome, Nancy. Hi. Hi there. What's How are you? I'm great. You're calling from Concord? Uh, yes, I am, but I'm calling about Canon and Lilies. Okay. And uh, they're up in Alcona Beach. Okay. No problem. So Canna Lilies, big red ones? Uh, red and yellow and white and uh, I don't know. Hmm. Okay. How they ta- haven't all bloomed yet, and I just planted them this year. All right. And are they, <clears throat> excuse me, are they canna, do you think, lilies, C-A-N-N-A? Canna lilies. Yeah, that's right. So the trick with those is if they haven't bloomed yet, when did you plant them? Them in uh, July or August. Okay. And was that something somebody gave them to you? Yes, they did. Excellent. So worth keeping... They will not survive over the winter outside. They won't. eh? No, they won't. And the reason they didn't bloom is just because they got in the ground so late. So your your job is to wait until they've had a good frost and all the leaves have turned black. So that might be another, you know, six weeks from now, might even be longer. But once they've been frosted and the leaves are black and brown and shriveled, you'll dig up what's below ground, which are tubers, uh, and those need to be stored in a frost-free, dark, cool location for the winter. So okay. if you have a root cellar or a wine cellar or something like that, or um, basement. a basement, perfect, as long as it's a dark spot, preferably a cool spot. Uh, and they, they will need to go into preferably like a big Rubbermaid, kind of a big tub with some peat moss, and then you'll put those tubers in and you'll cover them with peat moss, cover them all up, stick them in the basement, and then next um, May... You will take them and wherever you want to plant them, get them in the ground, preferably early to mid-May. And that way they should be blooming by July. Okay. Okay. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks for your call. Now, what if they're, uh, like, I I heard uh, you could cut them to ground level or... Well, you will, once the frost uh, hits them, you will cut off all the foliage. Once the ground, the once frost. the frost hits them, you cut off all the foliage. Yep. And then box them up. Lift them out of the ground and box them up. Okay, okay. thank you. Okay, you're very welcome. Uh- <laughs> Thanks for your call. No worries. We're having a pretty interesting show here. Justin's doing a great job. James is just sitting there smiling in the background, doing nothing. I mean, he's doing lots, but you know... <laughs> And some great callers from all over the place, including the United States. We love it. We love having people calling from all over. People are very much thinking about um, their gardens today, I think, in all this lovely uh, weather. And it's a great weekend to be out in the garden. Our next caller is from Brampton. We have Kim on the line. Good morning. Hi. Um, I'm calling about um, a horse chestnut tree, mm-hmm. 47 years old. Mm-hmm. I planted it from a conker, and I've had an arborist in, mm-hmm. and they have diagnosed it with horse chestnut tree blight. Mm-hmm. 
And why I'm calling is I just need some reassurance and affirmation that this will not kill the tree. What they said, and I've, I've organized it, they're going to do deep root fertilization now mm-hmm. and in the spring. Mm-hmm. I've taken all the leaves off the ground mm-hmm. as they fall. Mm-hmm. But the, part, the issue is, is that in Brampton we have a lot of horse chestnut trees. Mm-hmm. They're all old, and a lot of them are in the same condition as mine. Mm-hmm. But mine wins first prize for the worst Oh. <laughs> so I'm worried of losing it. Okay. Well, okay, so these are good questions. Um, I like the idea that the arborist is recommending deep root fertilization. And the reason that's being recommended is so you will not have the, the number one worst-looking tree. Good. Okay. It's going to improve the quality of that plant's existence and appearance dramatically by doing some deep root fertilizing. Uh, now, has the arborist recommended any kind of pruning or thinning or no, dead wood hasn't. removal? And in that huge snowstorm that we had, not a single branch fell. Oh, good. The buds on it are all sticky, and there's lots. Good. This spring, it was lush mm-hmm. and loaded with blossoms, but now there's nothing. Oh, okay, so what, what's going on with that blight is um, chestnuts do sh- often get blighted, or they look like they're scorched, every, around about August, every August. Mm-hmm. Again, weather-dependent. We had a cool gray, wet spring and summer, generally speaking. These are perfect conditions for anything that's fungal in nature. So what you've got there is a situation, or any of the chestnuts have really been suffering from, is um, the, the, um, all this moisture has led to what you're seeing and the, the leaves all turning brown and crispy and defoliating early. Mm-hmm. So what you've done is good. That's called good garden hygiene. When we go around and we clean up any leaves that fall early and unexpectedly, they need to be cleaned up off the ground, bagged and removed from the property right. so that you do not reinfect the tree next spring if possible. Pray for lots of sun. Pray for a, a drier, warmer season. And I think you'll find that the, it, the, the scorch or the blight will not look nearly as bad next year. Oh, good. Okay. Certainly, and certainly the fertilizing will be a huge benefit. Great, super. Thank you very much. All right. Love thank, the show. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for your Bye. call. All right. Do we have time if we do a real quick one? Uh, two minutes. All right. Susan is calling from Unionville, all about a hibiscus. Hi, Susan. Hi. I've got an hibiscus. It's mm-hmm. about three feet tall. I brought it in two weeks ago, and I, I washed it before I brought it in. Mm-hmm. And I let it sit, and I didn't water it until the leaves drooped. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> now, it, now it's still blooming, but the blossoms are much smaller. Mm-hmm. And at the top of the of the bush, um, I've I've got these lots of little blossoms, and the stems are starting to look a little um, spindly. Can I cut those top parts off of the hibiscus? And why? Just because it looks kind of ugly? Yeah, well, it looks like it's yeah. Is it going to get tall and spindly? I I've had it for a long time. Okay, so I, I don't know if I should cut it back now or. Or just leave it. Yeah, I would leave it. I would avoid doing any cutting or pruning right now. Number one, because you're going to remove flower buds. Right. But number two, because it is the time of year where plants, like I said earlier, are naturally slowing down. Right. When we prune, we are telling this plant to grow. And we're encouraging growth that just isn't going to happen. So it'll look kind of unshapely and, and silly until it does start popping new growth, but that's going to be February or March. Okay. What about watering? How often well, should I... Well, my first question would be, how much light have you got it in? Do you have, like, a southern window? It's in, it's in, a, it's in a corner of a little sunroom that um, it's facing... Um, mainly it's facing south, but it's in an east-south 
Mm. All right. So my best suggestion is get in as much light as you can, only water when it's dry. So feel the soil, watch the leaves. If they start to droop a bit, water thoroughly uh, till water runs out the bottom and of the pot and then allow that to soak into the soil. But the more light, the better, and you'll avoid that spindliness. Okay. Should I move it right directly into the east window as opposed to the... If you can. Yep. It'd be better right in the window because east is not the brightest spot anyway. All right, we got to go. Thanks okay, so thank much you. for your call. <laughs> We're done. Show's over. Thank you, everybody, so much for all your great calls. Thank you, Justin. You've been a fine supporter. And thank you, James Patrick Dooley. Couldn't do it without you. See you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.